Hello and welcome to another episode of the Who Says No NBA Trade Podcast. My name is Colin Ward-Henninger. I'm an NBA writer at CBS Sports. Joining me as always, Sam Quinn, another writer at CBS Sports, my co-host, the, my confidant, the guy I go to when I have salary questions. Sam, how are you enjoying this NBA season? It looks like things are starting to heat up a little bit. I'm enjoying it almost as much as I'm enjoying your intros, Colin. You're getting better. You're really getting there. with. I'm season. working. You know, you don't put in the work. It, it, you start to see the results, you know. Well, we're going through the three C's here, you know, cap, confidant, and now chemistry, which we're developing by doing the show. I'm a big alliteration guy. Everyone knows. Oh, my, I love my seventh grade English teacher knows that. That's right. Anything is better with some alliteration. There actually yeah. is some alliteration, just totally incidentally, the first topic that we're going to hit on on this, on this podcast. Some that, alliteration. That's called a tease, ladies and gentlemen, in the biz. That's what we say. But the reason we're getting together is, uh, you know, James Harden is on the Brooklyn Nets. They're looking tremendous. It doesn't look like anybody's ever going to be able to stop them from scoring, especially when Kyrie Irving comes back. Um, he forced his way out of Houston. And, uh, you know, we previously saw Anthony Davis force his way out of New Orleans and win a championship with the L.A. Lakers. So now that Harden has been traded, the focus is on who is going to be that next star that leaves their team, whether it's by, you know, a forced trade or just the team kind of reading the writing on the wall and saying, look, we better get rid of this guy and get something for him before, you know, he ends up leaving for nothing. So everyone knows it's going to happen uh, as the Harden situation. It just kind of, you know, organically rose up. Uh, Anthony Davis, I don't think many people saw that coming. And Sam, you and I were talking offline about, the, you know, the first time we were kind of blindsided by one of these things with Kawhi Leonard. So you just never know where these things well, are going to I think that's sort of the point of this podcast, right? Like if we're being totally honest about who the next star likeliest to be traded is, it's not on this list because we don't know who it is yet because these things tend to come out of nowhere, right? Like I think if you would have said in November who the next star that's going to be traded is, you wouldn't have said James Arden. It didn't seem like he was likely to be at least right away, maybe down the line, you know, ready to force his way out of Houston. And then he just did it. Some of these guys on this list, they're not going to get traded at all. Some of them will, and some of them are in pretty bleak situations. And you might be thinking, oh, we have a year to salvage this. We have six months to salvage this. That's not how the NBA works now. Once the situation gets bad enough, the guys do what they need to to get out. And we can talk, you know, this is kind of coupled by the fact that uh, in recent years, we, GMs are just throwing the farm at other teams, you know, picks, 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 every single pick that they own. And if that is going to be the return for these guys, I mean, Drew Holiday got what? How many first round picks out of that? So if that's what's going to be the return and these guys get the feeling that these stars are going to leave, you really can't blame them for jumping, you know, at the opportunity. No, and I mean, I just going down that rabbit hole, like we've only seen this with stars in their prime on short term deals. We don't know how far down the rabbit hole we're going to go, right? Like, I'm just going to throw out a name here. I'm not saying I think he's going to get traded. He almost certainly won't. But like Oklahoma City, Shea Gildas Alexander, they're probably trying to lose. They love draft picks. They've already made these, this big trade twice with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Like, would it be that crazy if they just decided, you know what? Let's go even further down here. Let's go get four more first round picks. Why not? We haven't seen the end of this. We haven't seen the most extreme portion of it. At some point, we're going to see a 22-year-old get traded for five first round picks. At some point, we're going to see somebody that we thought of as a lifer with some team get traded for five first-round picks. The truth is, in the modern NBA, everybody is available at all times. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the Shea Gillis-Alexander thing, just because uh, I, I need to take a moment and pause here and, and talk about the way that aggregators are treated and referred to on other podcasts. It's You know, we both listen to a lot of you know NBA yes. podcasts. They just hammer the aggregators, man, and you and I— uh, have both been aggregators in our careers as NBA writers, and there's nothing wrong with taking something that someone says and and, and broadcasting it to a wider audience. I don't say anything wrong with that. So, so I think uh, yeah, there's a ahead. fine line here. As long as you're very clear that what they're saying is a suggestion or treating it in the context that it's spoken under, I think that's fine. Whereas if somebody were to aggregate me saying like, oh, maybe Shea Gildas Alexander – I'm not saying Shea Gildas Alexander is available or is going to get traded. If somebody were to aggregate that and say, oh, CBS, um, CBS sports reporter Sam Quinn says the Thunder are going to trade Shea Gildas Alexander. No, that's not what I'm saying. As long as you're clear about what is being said and under what context, it's totally fine to buy, by me. 
I agree with you. And I just, you know, because that was my first thought when you said that was like, oh, watch out. The aggregators are going to get you. I was like, wait, we're I'm an aggregator. You're an aggregator. You know, like I felt like they're being a little unfairly treated. But your point is taken. Right. Like everybody in the media, not like I don't get me wrong. We're all reporting too. we're all talking to the same basic groups of people. But sometimes somebody gets an exclusive quote that really is important. Everybody's writing off of it. That's aggregation. That's right. And uh, as like you said, it's responsible aggregation, I think, is the is the way it's said. So there should be a distinction between, you know, aggregators who take their job seriously and have journalistic integrity and those who just uh, broadcast things in order to get clicks. All right. I'll get off my soapbox and we can talk about what we're here to talk about, which is who is the the most likely star to next be traded after James Harden? And Sam, you have some thoughts on this. so I'll let you kick things off. Who's number one on your list? Uh, we have the same very obvious person at the top of our list. We mentioned the alliteration. I think everybody listening to this is probably on the same page that it's Bradley Beal. He's on a Washington team that is just outright bad, right? It's not even bad by unhappy superstar standards. Like the Rockets are bad by unhappy superstar standards, but the Rockets with James Harden maybe could have made the playoffs, maybe even won around. The Wizards are just bad. They're just a bad team despite having Bradley Beal. He's spoken about his displeasure, right? I mean, he said they couldn't guard a parked car. You know, he he spoke out after he scored 60 points and they lost. And he basically said, I'm tired of my best games getting wasted. I don't want to say that he's ready to request a trade right now because we haven't heard that. But he's made it pretty clear that he's unhappy with the direction of the franchise. And that's usually the first sign. Yeah, and he signed that extension, which kind of caught everybody, you know, by surprise. That's a fake extension. Okay, explain explain why that's a fake extension. So... This is something, I mean, don't get me wrong. He did say he did commit to an extra year. That's not nothing. That's extra security for the team. But the way that deal was publicized was, I believe, three years, 100 million, something like that. Well, no, that's not a three-year extension. That's a one-year extension that already had a year on top of it, which is how you get to two, as a player option for the third. It's only one extra year of commitment, but the team gets to sell to its fans. Oh, we've got Bradley Beal on a three-year deal. No, you have him for one more year than you originally did. The situation has not materially changed. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's always a confusing thing when uh, they report, oh, he signed a four-year extension. It's like, wait, is that four years starting now or starting at the end of his contract? So The lesson here, as always, whenever you see contract terms, remember that what is initially reported is whatever is most favorable to the agent, which is whatever (laughs) the biggest number, like whatever the biggest number possible is, right? Like Jalen Brown's extension was a good example of this. I can't remember the exact number. It was like 116, something like that. But there were 18 million in incentives. Like most contracts are like that. The first number you see is not necessarily the real number. And when they get to the last year, the incentives are like, you know, you have to make seven consecutive all NBA teams and lead the league in scoring six times. You have to win a Super Bowl despite playing (laughs) basketball. Some of the incentives really are ridiculous, but the best ones are the ones like Mo Harkless, where you have to hit a certain percentage. And once you get to that percentage, like you're strategically – changing the way you play. Like Mo Harkless had to shoot 35% on threes. He was there with a few games left in the season. He just stopped shooting threes. That's so great. I'm totally, I'm pro Mo Harkless stopping shooting to get his money. Listen, this is a business. Like players say that all the time. Teams don't say it, but they act like it with the way they trade guys. Like do what it takes. Take care of yourself. So speaking of taking care of yourself, when, (laughs) okay, we need first to agree that the Wizards aren't going to be good anytime soon. I mean, there might have been some hope with with Russell Westbrook going there, but... Well, what does good mean to you? Because they could have won 40 games and, like, maybe been the sixth seed. That was probably their upside. Right, and I think if they do that, I think that that's at least something to show Bradley Beal. I don't think they're even going to be close to that, do you? No, I totally totally agree. They're going to be one of the, let's say, four worst teams in the East. I don't think they're making the plan. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, and if you're not making the plane in the East, like what what are we doing with our lives? Like, <laughs> come on, man. So when does when does Beal hit the point where he's like, all right, I gotta go? Like, can, would the Wizards proactively deal him, or is it gonna have to get to the point where he says, I, I am I'm leaving? Like, whether you like it or not. I feel like we're on like Beal watch right now. Like, it could be any day now. That's not me reporting anything about his state of mind, but it's just sort of a common sense thing, right? Like. The situation this reminds me of is Anthony Davis, where he had two years left on his contract in New Orleans. He comes into that second to last year. They make some offseason moves. They get Alfred Payton. They get Julius Randle. It's all smiles. Seems like he's on board. 
But then as the year progresses, you know, they're not playing so well. He misses some games. And then I think it was like the middle of January, bam, trade request comes in. Davis wants out. I think when we get to the equivalent point in this season, maybe a couple weeks before the trade deadline, we'll get the same response from Beal, sort of an, I tried, I gave it a shot, this isn't working, let's get out. If it goes beyond that, I mean, not only do you lose value in the trade, but like, I just don't get what Washington is doing here directionally. What do they think is going to happen if they keep Bradley Beal? Like, say he signed a five-year extension, what does their immediate future look like? Yeah, I think they were banking on, you know, the the younger guys. Like, they they re-signed Bertans, and they, they expected, And they're not using it! Which is very straight. I, you know, I, I, tell, I talk about my fantasy, you know, sports addiction a lot in this podcast, but not starting Davies Bertans is like, is, like, the craziest thing in the world. Like, why are you so, paying him all that money? It doesn't make any sense is, to me. This is an issue that's very near and dear to CBS Sports NBA Slack, because last year, I had the 7 p.m. shift a lot. You were playing DFS, and one of our editors, Michael, Michael Boland, shout out Boland, is a Wizards fan. So we used to get like really into the Wizards and really into Davis Bertans. I think I wrote like 2,000 words about him at some point. This is ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. Like I understand the logic of, oh, play the young guys. Rihachimura has promised. You just gave Dav- Davis Bertans $80 million to come off of your bench. Just what are you doing? And if Why you're- are you paying him that much? <laughs> And if you have Russell Westbrook on your team, why are you not putting by far the best shooter on your team, one of the best shooters in the league, on the court with him to start the game? It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the Wizards have been mismanaged for a long time, and I think there was this big thought that, oh, it's just Ernie Grunfeld. No, this is a top-down thing. This is everybody in the building not knowing what they're doing. And which leads us to Bradley Beal getting the hell out of there. Is there a team that that you'd like for him, or is this just one of those things where it's like, you know, whatever team is in that position at the time that he makes his demand is going to, is going to try to go all in for him. Well, Philly's the obvious one, right? Like I think we all sort of thought when they didn't trade for James Harden, it's because they didn't want to throw away all their chips because Bradley Beal's five years younger. He's maybe an easier fit. I don't know if he's a better one. I think Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal is a pretty simple trade, assuming Washington can do something to get rid of Russell Westbrook. That's the foundational all-star that they can get. No other team can offer if I were Washington and I could get Brad, or I can get Ben Simmons, I would be thinking of it the same way I thought Houston should have thought of it. Take the 24-year-old All-NBA guy and figure the rest out later. But how certain are we of Brad, Ben Simmons' trade value right now, right? Like, he's scoring 12 points a game. His playoff issues are real. Maybe Houston wasn't as into Ben Simmons as we are. So I've been wondering lately, did Philly maybe miss the boat on trading Ben Simmons? I don't have an answer for that, but that's the obvious team. No, that's a good question. And and on that note, like, I don't think we've really covered it yet, but like, how freaking good is Bradley Beal? Like, this guy's, he's averaging 35 points a game, averaged 30 and a half last year. Um, You talk about a piece who will just fit with any team, any construction of a roster. I mean, he can shoot, he can play off the ball, he can play with the ball. Um, He's big enough to be a decent defender if he's motivated. Um, He has not been past year now. He has not been, but nobody on Washington has. I don't know how you could play defense with the roster that looks like that. But uh, not to let him off the hook, but I, I could see him if he was under the right system and being pressured to actually play defense, that he's athletic and, and smart enough to be able to do that. But Well, um, look at also the teams that were trying to trade for him. Before there was Harden, Brooklyn's third star was going to be Beal. That's what a lot of us assumed, right? Miami is reportedly totally enamored with him. Like These are smart teams. These are contending teams. When that this many really good smart teams are circling somebody like this, it probably means he's either as good as advertised or better. Maybe there are teams out there that think, oh, Washington doesn't know how to use him. We can get even more out of him. So it, if Philly missed the boat on Harden, let's just say they, they wanted him and they couldn't get him. We don't know if that's true, but let's just say that. And they end up getting Beal. Is that equal, worse, better than getting Harden? What do you think? Worse short-term, better long-term, right? Like, I'm imagining a scenario in which they trade Simmons straight up for Beal. Just imagine that team in, like, two years when Maxie and Thibel are, like, closer to their primes. Like, imagine if you have a fully maxed-out Tyrese Maxie, Bradley Beal, defensive player of the year candidate Matisse Thibel, which I think we think he can get to. That guy's amazing. Just a quick aside, like, 
you watch him for five seconds and he does something ridiculous, like just rips the ball from somebody or like comes out of nowhere, blocks a shot. It's just like his hands and his arms and he's just always in the right place. Anyway, that's why he's the best off ball rookie defender I've ever seen. It's wild story, but like he was already better than like Robert Covington last year. And Covington was like, he fixed the Rockets defense. He's made an all NBA team. That dude is amazing. Now he hasn't been quite as good this year. And the offense is, Let's say inconsistent and leave it at that. But <laughs> the defensive upside for him, man, it, the sky's the limit. So yeah. if they could get Beal while keeping their other young guys in and be like in two years when maybe the Nets are on their way down and Milwaukee's role players are a bit older, that might be their time to strike. Yeah, and that's that's really, you know, ultimately, if you, you know, look at the reports, that could have been one of the issues that, that hung up Philly and not trading for Harden is that they didn't want to give up Maxi or Tybal or whatever the the secondary parts of that trade were. So if they are going to go for Bradley Beal and, and it's a possibility, that'll be really interesting to monitor whether they're willing to to cave and give up, you know, a Maxi or, or a Thibel or something like that. And you know, that's always the question when you trade for a star: is that what are we giving up and what is what kind of roster is that star coming into? You know. Well, I almost wonder. Daryl Morey's never really been in this situation, right? He's never been in a situation where he had. I mean, A, two, like, bona fide stars that are young and under team control for a long time. But, like, he's never had real young assets. He's never had a Tyrese Maxey before. He's never had a Matisse Thibel before. Would it be that crazy if he just sort of thought, you know what? I'm going to play this out. Like, let's see how this year goes. Let's not make any commitments. I just want to see how this exact team does. Maybe get a better gauge on what we think Maxey's going to be, what we think Thibel's going to be, what we think Shake Milton's going to be. I think he's in this rare position where he can finally be a little patient. I wouldn't be very, I wouldn't be too surprised if he just didn't do anything. Yeah, and we forget how young, you know, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are. Like they've been expected to be winning titles the last few years, but they're still really young and and have a, a bright future and a long time in their prime if they can stay healthy. So uh, if they get rid of Simmons, they still got Embiid, you know, who's playing at an MVP level earlier this season. We should also point out that just Philly being Philly. There's always something with them. So neither of their two stars are on this list. But A, I would say that either of their two stars could maybe be traded for somebody on this list. Or B, there's something could always happen that would land them on this list. Like, say Philly gets to the second round and gets swept by Brooklyn. Then maybe you have to start thinking, okay, they're going to trade one of these guys. The experiment has failed. Right, and that really gets to your point of kind of being proactive about this. And if you don't see Philly as winning a title this year, you got to kind of see that coming. You know what I mean? Like expect that one of those guys is going to be unhappy or, you know, ownership is going to be unhappy. The fans, whatever it is that somebody's going to be like, all right, it's time to break these two up. So maybe, yeah, go ahead. The core question here is what is the goal, right? And for the last, I'm going to say two years since they made the Jimmy Butler trade, it was win the championship right now. I think that was probably ill-advised given Simmons' age and Embiid's age, but They did it, and they know more about the situation than we do. Maybe Embiid's health is pretty precarious, and maybe they don't think he can stay healthy for a prolonged run. Maybe there's something in that relationship. We don't know. But Philly, for the past two years, has really acted like an all-in team. I don't know that they necessarily should, and I wonder if they're thinking, let's take a step back here. Let's wait out LeBron. Let's wait out Brooklyn. Let's maybe wait out this version of Milwaukee and try to win this thing when it's a bit more available in two years. Again, I don't know, but whatever move Philly makes, you just have to ask yourself what the actual goal is. Is it to win right now or is it to win a little bit later? Yeah, and if anyone's going to kind of think those scenarios through and be smart about it, it's probably Daryl Morey. So I think we can expect Philly to to really, uh, you know, the make the analytically forward move in terms of guys in, in their primes and their contracts and, and their peaks and things like that. But do you think Bradley Beal, so the, the Wizards have – uh, you know, have had several positive COVID cases. Do you think that this could be uh, an opportunity for Beal to kind of use the COVID card here and be like, look, this this team, you know, this organization didn't take it seriously. <laughs> I think I it might be time for a move. I hadn't thought about that, but I mean, it's not crazy. Like if you're just looking for a PR excuse, guys have used worse things. So yeah, I don't think it's crazy. I'm just, I'm imagining the scenario where we get to the end of the season and there's nothing on the schedule left in the like postponement period besides like 12 Wizards games where like every night the Wizards are just traveling. Like they're like the circus going from town to town, 
losing 140 to 135. Like the Washington Generals, just all over again. It's just, it's so unfortunate that we're wasting this much time of Bradley Beal's prime. Like, this dude is 27, and he should have, you know, been making the Eastern Conference Finals by now. It's a waste. Right, and a lot of these trade demands, they kind of come out of nowhere. This was one that, the second he does it, everybody's like, yep, we've been waiting. It's about time. Yeah, so... Uh, he's number one on the list, I think, with a bullet on most people's list. But uh, who else do you have, Sam? And the star is most likely to be traded. So I would say that he is number two on my likeliest to be traded list. But I don't know that that means he's going to be the second star that is traded. I think this one could take a little while. Just he has four years left on his contract. He seems to have developed real roots in the community. It's Carl Anthony Towns. And it's for m- many of the same reasons that Bradley Beal is on this list and that he is now in his seventh season, I believe, either sixth or seventh, and he's won a single playoff game. You know, he's on a Minnesota team that is very bad right now. Now, part of that is that he hasn't been playing originally for injury and then for COVID, but I don't think that even with Towns, did you have them in your playoff list entering the season? Because I didn't. Absolutely not. And, you know, as being out here in the Bay Area, they have a close eye on the, the Minnesota Timberwolves this season with that top three protected pick that they owe. And, you know, originally the the fear was that they, you know, Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, they might find lightning in a bottle and, you know, be a fringe playoff team. Now I think the fear is that they're going to be in that top, one of those top three picks. But uh, it does become they're going to have the worst record year, so. or one of the worst records, right? Besides yeah. Detroit, who's going to be worse than them? Unless well, Towns comes in and they have like a top ten offense. Right, and this, you know, first of all, Towns coming down with COVID just. You know, there's nothing you can say. He's lost his mother and several family members to, to the virus, and now he has it. And this must be terrifying for him. So obviously things have just been, life-wise, basketball aside, this has just been, is has been and will continue to be a transformational, you know, 365 days or whatever it ends up being for, for Carl Anthony Towns. And, and that stuff can fuel, you know, someone's future. You could look at this and say, look, I'm really not happy and and that can lead to to life changing decisions for all of us, and that includes basketball players. So, I would, I, if, yeah, if anything, ahead. I would say that that volatility maybe favors Minnesota a little bit because if this had gone the traditional route, he would have just left with two years left on his deal, like everybody does. I wouldn't be surprised. And like, look, I'm not going to try to pretend to be a mind reader or somebody that has any insight into anything that anybody that lost as much as Towns had. Like, the truth is, that's just beyond me as a human being. I don't know how that guy's making it through this, but I mean, just man, you you really hit the nail on the head. He's lost so much. I wonder if there's any part of him that's like, I really crave stability. I like being in Minnesota. This organization has really been there for me. Maybe I don't need to go rush to look for a championship. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going through his head. All I will say is, if this had gone the normal way and Minnesota had kept losing, They would have lost him. That's just what happens in the NBA. So maybe this changes his mindset a little bit. So, yeah, and just to kind of, I was joking about earlier with, you know, the Wizards not taking it seriously. Obviously, I was just joking about that. And by all accounts and reports, the Minnesota Timberwolves were extremely vigilant about all of the protocols and everything, and he still came down with it. So it's just an indication of how dangerous this is. But on the court, um, the Wimber Timberwolves tried traded for D'Angelo Russell, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is a really good friend. And that was supposed to kind of appease him, at least for a while, from for all the rumblings that have been going on, even though it seems like he just signed his extension. What was that? Has that ever worked? Has any team ever added the friend and like that was enough? Uh it's I mean, it, it does reek of like desperation. It's something it's, you do that pushes the off the inevitable confrontation by six months. Right. So that yeah, your timeline's probably probably about yeah, like, right you know there. what satisfies people is winning it's it's right. kind of that simple i mean there are extreme cases where like kevin durant has two rings and he's looking for something beyond winning or Kawhi leonard has two rings and he's looking for something beyond winning but like for normal guys they just want to win it's it's that simple so uh, in terms of towns i mean you got to ask like who's who's the team for him i, I think it's much easier to find homes for guys like James Harden and Bradley Beal, not just because of their amazing scores, but because of the position they play, right? You can play them alongside a lot of different combinations of lineups because of their size and skill sets. Towns is obviously one of the most, maybe the most versatile offensive big man we've ever seen. Um, but where does he fit in? And and will teams be willing to 
kind of give up the assets necessary to get him if it means bringing in essentially a center to your team? So if you're adding Carl Anthony Towns, you have to feel very comfortable about your defense elsewhere. So I was looking at teams with younger defensive anchors that could protect him a little bit. And the obvious answer here is Miami, right? Like if you could pair him with Bam Adebayo in your front court, I mean, A, aside from what Bam does on defense, just imagine the offensive possibilities, right? Like Bam is such a good passer, such a good ball handler. Could you run pick and roll with Bam and Towns? Good luck defending that. You know, that extra shooting is helpful for Jimmy Butler because he doesn't really shoot threes. I think he's somebody who would really buy into Miami's culture. The issue is we know that Jimmy Butler wasn't necessarily crazy about Andrew Wiggins. How does he feel about Towns? I I don't know. I think that was more of a Wiggins issue, but if Towns is really ready to commit, maybe Butler's like, okay, I see it. I see the spark in your eye. Let's do this. And I do think, you know, I, Obviously, when those reports came out, Butler, you know, thinking or I don't even know if they were reports. I think he just flat out said it that like the younger guys on this team aren't committed to winning or whatever. He said they don't want to work hard, blah, blah, blah. Some iteration of that. But it, you also have to remember that, like, this is very, very early in Towns' career. He's 20, 21, 22 years old. Like he's trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to to see what he can do uh, offensively as a player. And like, I, I think there's definitely like a. Uh, a chance that at this point or whatever point he's at in his career, when he decides he does want to be traded, that winning is probably going to be a more important thing to him than stats and all-star games and things like that. So I never blame these players early in their careers for, for wanting to score and wanting to put up numbers. Like I think that's a natural thing and I think it does help their development, but obviously um, most of them, not all of them eventually hit a point in their career where, where winning takes precedence. So I, I don't think a reunion with Jimmy Butler would be too out of the question. So at what point do you start to blame them? Because I, I definitely start to blame them. Like when I hear Russell Westbrook wants to be a floor general again, I'm just thinking like, really, Russ? That's like, kind of haven't you weird. had your fill? Yeah, he's, he's done <laughs> a lot of that. You've triple-double and you're thinking this way. Like there's nothing else that you really want to do. There's no other goal you really want to pursue. When you, have, when you have the single highest usage rate for a single season in NBA history, they, they, you didn't get that out of your system then. I wonder if there's any part of him that's like, I want to retire with the highest usage rate in NBA history, like for a career. I mean, there's some pride to be taken in that, right? Like theoretically, that means nobody held a basketball more than you did. He's one of those weird guys that, I I mean, I guess it's probably not weird when you're at that high of a level at anything is that you simultaneously don't care what anyone says and care about everything everyone says. It's this weird existence where you try to negotiate the two. I feel like Westbrook's kind of the poster child for that. Well, Durant is very similar to that, too. But I feel like Durant has reached a sort of nirvana with it. Where, like, he's just totally at peace with how not at peace he is. He's so good. We, don't, the, need to, we don't need to get into this. He's so good. But any other teams come to mind for you with Towns? Man. There's one other one. But I, I want to hear you at first. Yeah, I I mean, Miami seems to be the, the obvious one for me. Um, maybe a team like you know one of the teams that has the picks like the pelicans or or the thunder that could just be like look this is our only chance to get a guy like this uh and they just go all in on on someone like that so those those would be my only i don't really have a specific deal in mind but just the picks teams if you had zion and towns on one defense like i don't know if any two-player combination could guarantee you the 30th ranked defense but (laughs) that's about as close as you could come at least with the modern like high level guys Wait, are you Oklahoma saying Zion? City. Zion isn't a transcendent defender? Is that what you're trying to say? Shockingly, no. He has not turned out to be Wow. One. Just by the way, we were talking in Slack today, just random Zion stats. You know, he took four three-pointers in his first NBA game, and it's taken two since. I remember that he hit, what, did he make all four or three? Yeah, he went four for four. It was four all in four. one quarter. Yeah, I remember that because it was crazy and everyone was like, wow, like because he was terrible before that. And then he made one and then he just kept launching and then he had this amazing game. But yeah, I, I didn't realize he'd only take it two cents. But I think Brad, uh, Brad Bucket, our co-worker, said uh, maybe a week ago or something that Zion hadn't yet taken a shot outside the paint or made a shot outside the paint. Yeah, he still hasn't. We were talking yeah. about that tonight, actually. I mean, don't timestamp this, but uh, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't made a shot outside of the paint yet. Um I believe in his career, he's made nine shots outside of the paint. Giannis took 10 shots outside of the paint last night. So that should tell you where he is in his development cycle. This is not a Zion pod. He is not going to demand a trade yet. Maybe someday. 
Yeah, um, but he's uh, if we're talking about pairing Towns and, and Zion, then you know, offensively, if he's not shooting outside the paint, that's a great place for Towns to be able to show his stretch offense. So the other one I have is Team Kentucky, the New York Knicks, who currently I, I don't have the exact number. I think it's four Wildcats on the team right now. They also have an assistant from Kentucky. You know, they have the CAA ties. A lot of CAA guys go to Kentucky. So that's sort of the obvious one where, like, maybe we get to a point where Devin Booker wants out of Phoenix, too, and they say, let's go revive the Knicks together or something along those lines. I don't know that there's a basketball fit there because the truth is I don't know what the Knicks roster is going to look like in a couple of years. But Towns has played for Tom Thibodeau. You know, he has all the CAA connections. I think that one is viable. I don't know that I would recommend it, but I think it's a possibility. I'll have to check with uh, franchise superstar Emmanuel quickly first to see if he's okay with it. A Kentucky Wildcat, so he'll be fine. <laughs> Team Kentucky. Even Kevin Knox, he's showing up playing a little bit for them. I love it. So it's Knox, Randall, quickly, Nerlens Noel, and I think there's one more. I can't remember off the top of my head. They really are like a third of that roster is Kentucky. Yeah, and it's so funny that, the, like you mentioned, like the CAA, the Kentucky thing, like you don't want to overplay it, but like these are things that like really do exist in the NBA, particularly the agency stuff. And it, it's it's interesting when it plays out and for things like this, where you're like, where is this guy going to go or where is this guy going to want to go? Those are certainly factors that you have to yeah. consider. Before you laugh, just look at the Lakers roster. They have like nine clutch players. Not yep. insignificantly, including the two big ones, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yep, and they essentially made that trade happen for Anthony Davis to get to the Lakers. Exactly. Like, people don't really understand the power that these agencies have. It is very significant. So we got Beal, we got Towns, two guys that have been talked about a little bit. Beal a lot more recently, Towns not so much of late, but that definitely makes sense. Who else you got? This is where you kind of have to stretch a little bit. I'm just going to be honest, if he keeps playing the way he has, we might have to, we're being pretty lenient with the word star. What about Pascal Siakam? Because right now, I don't know what Toronto's organizational direction is. I know that they would probably like to trade for one of the other guys on this list and get back to a point where they have a real star and they couldn't do it with James Harden. I feel like if they were going to trade for a star, Siakam would probably be their bait. But Pascal Siakam has not had a good start to the season. Well, the the Raptors haven't had a good start to the season, and you know that's an across the board issue, yes. But he, in particular, has looked like he did in the bubble, which right? Is which is dangerous. It's it's a scary thought. And last year, you know, his numbers did go up, uh, but his efficiency efficiency, did I say that right, went way down. Right, he shot forty five percent from the field compared to fifty five the year before. Um, his three point shooting was good. I mean, it was fine. It's um, but this year it's really gone off the cliff and. It's a it's a downward trend that you don't like to see from a guy who's supposed to be the future of your franchise. No, I mean, he's shooting 26.3% on threes this year. I don't think that that's sustainable, but it's worth noting, like, his really good years, the two cha- the championship year and then last year, was basically league average on something like 600 attempts. This guy is not somebody who's ever going to shoot 40%. And for all we know, like, maybe that was the aberration. You know, he was a 22% shooter in the 2017-18 season. Maybe he just isn't a very good shooter. And if he's not a very good shooter, you know, that spin move is nice. But how far can it really get him? You know, he's a very good defender, but we don't know how good because he's played with so many other very good defenders. I don't know what his value is right now. He's a lot older than people think. He's 26. He's only like, I believe, 10 months um, younger than Bradley Beal. And it feels like Bradley Beal has been in the NBA forever. So... Man, like you would have asked me before the season, I would have said maybe you could have traded Pascal Siakam for James Harden. Right now, I don't know what you can get for Pascal Siakam. Yeah, it's not James Harden. I'll tell you that. And I remember you did. You brought that up on our James Harden Trade Destinations podcast. And it made sense at the time. Obviously, you'd have to throw in some other stuff. But as kind of a young, you know, rebuilding team would like a piece like him, you can put other guys around. He can fit in. But What's going on with him? I mean, what what happened in the bubble was, you know, it was hard to watch at times. And, and now with this year not getting better, he was kind of, you know, fake suspended for that game after kind of blowing up on the sidelines. It seems like like either he's not enjoying himself or they're not enjoying what Pascal Siakam is bringing. But for, you know, we talked about Kawhi Leonard and how that kind of came out of nowhere because of the, the Spurs culture where you never thought 
a guy, uh, you know, a star on the Spurs would demand a trade. I, I feel like the Raptors are kind of in a similar boat over these last few seasons where it just seems like they have such a great culture and the guys get along so well. And they have so many veterans that it would be hard to imagine someone just coming out and being like, I want out of here. But I don't know if things, you know, continue down this road. I guess I guess we can't really rule it out. I think there's a non-zero chance. And when I say non-zero, I really do mean like one or two percent. Like it's not likely, but I don't want to dismiss the possibility that Toronto just straight up decides to tank, right? Like they're already at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. It's something that Masai Ujiri clearly wanted to do before his team got too good to do it, right? He tried to trade Kyle Lowry to the Knicks. James Dolan backed out. We obviously know what happened after that. Maybe now is the time to do it. Maybe when you're already at the bottom of the standings, you just say, you know what? We're going to wash our hands of this. We're going to trade Siakam. We're going to trade Kyle Lowry. We'll get a high pick, and we'll try this thing again next year. That'll be a really interesting situation to watch as the rest of the year. I think we we both and most experts think that the Raptors will turn this around and end up being you know right there in the in the middle area of the Eastern Conference by the end of the year. But if if they don't, if they continue to to lose and not be able to figure things out, it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of direction they're going because that's not a roster that you look at. You know, if they hadn't had the success that they've had the last couple of seasons, well, especially last year, obviously with Kawhi, they got better. But uh, last year, if they didn't have that success last year, I don't think we would look at this roster and say, oh, this should be a four seed in the East. So they might have kind of, uh, you know, uh, look yourselves in the mirror moment if if they continue to lose and say, look, well, what do we really have at this collection of players? Well, you know, you're talking about them getting back to maybe the middle of the Eastern Conference. I mean, that's not a place anybody wants to be. But especially, is that a place that Toronto wants to be? Like, I don't really see a benefit to them. They're not playing at home. They're not getting home gate revenue by making the playoffs. They're a team that has some equity with their fans, considering they just won a championship. So if they wanted to do something unpopular like this, they could. But I think back to what their plan was before the season started. They wanted to sign Giannis. Now, they couldn't have predicted Giannis staying with the Bucks, But imagine if Giannis had not signed. And this was their sales pitch, right? Like, clearly what we'd be saying is this is an organization in disarray. Something is very wrong here. We don't know what and we don't know how to fix it. But Giannis ain't signing with this group if this is their presentation. So I think if we just apply that standard, I think we can clearly say, even if they turn it around and get to like the eight seed or, you know, win a play-in game or whatever, that's not good enough for this organization anymore. They've been at the top of the mountain. They have one of the best just overall infrastructures in basketball. If I were them, I'm looking, whatever we're doing, we're going in a specific direction. We're not going to tread water here. So if if they do decide to, to you know, say, hey, look, we're a championship organization and we're going to go for it. Obviously, we were talking about a Siakam trade. We're talking about, you know, him being the centerpiece or part of a package to get one of those guys we mentioned, like a Beal or, or a Towns, if he comes up or whatever. Um, if If they decide to go the opposite direction who who are some teams that might be interested in Siakam and what kind of potential return do you think they could get for him? I have no clue what the return is. I have no <laughs> clue what the value is right now. Yeah. I think it would have to be a team that doesn't feel confident that they have a star in the building and could think, oh, if we get him, we can fix him. And I have the most ironic destination here. It's the San Antonio Spurs the team that they made their last major blockbuster with. I think Siakam could fit in very well with their young guards. They have a lot of them. Personally, I think Keldon Johnson is the keeper. I don't know what they think, but they have enough young players that they could maybe put together an interesting package for the Raptors. They have the best shooting program in the NBA. Chip England, one of their assistant coaches, he's the guy who fixed Kawhi's shot. He's fixed a lot of shots over the years. Maybe he could fix Siakam. And then suddenly the Raptors, it would be sort of ironic you could think of it as part two of the Kawhi trade. You know, they could only get Jakob Pertle when they traded <laughs> when they traded Kawhi to the Raptors, and maybe they're thinking now's the chance to get the player we really wanted all along. Yeah, and if I mean, you could throw Aldridge in there, right, as a salary filler, as a guy who you say, all right, we need a center, so we got a center. If they don't want to re-sign him, they don't have to, um, and then get one of those, you know, young guards that you're talking about. I I, I could dig Lonnie Walker in Toronto. I don't know if they would. With, I mean, again, we've, we've said we have no idea what his value is, but like Lonnie Walker has upside. And I think Toronto's developmental system would do well for him. They have their own picks that they can trade. Like there is a package here. I don't know where they'd settle, but if these teams were motivated to make a deal, they could do it. 
that would be uh, quite a reversal of, of fortunes to now be the ones having to beg San Antonio to take your super or not not so super superstar. The Raptors owe this to the Spurs, and I think you know what. I personally would like to see Greg Popovich go out, maybe not on top. I don't think that's feasible, but can we get into the second round one more time? Would that be too much to ask? I would love to see it. And I, lo- I, I don't know if it's just, uh, I, I, you know, when the Spurs were good, they were always, at least when I was growing up, like the boring team. Like nobody was like a Spurs fan just randomly unless you're from San Antonio. Now it's like I feel like they're the opposite. They just have a lot of guys I like watching, and they're kind of an exciting team, even though they don't have a ton of super superstars. Um, you know, DeRozan isn't the most exciting guy in the world. Aldridge certainly isn't, but I love those young guys. DeJounte Murray, Derek Keldon White, Johnson is healthy. is the most fun player to watch in the NBA. Yeah, Keldon Johnson, so Patty Mills is still there, just a house on fire when he comes in off the bench. If you just like novelty in your basketball, watch Keldon Johnson shoot and watch the arc on his shots. Because I swear to God, every time he shoots, like it grazes the ceiling before it comes down. It's good there's no fans because things could be falling into debris, falling from the ceiling, all sorts of stuff. Maybe he's taking advantage of these unique vantage points. <laughs> Maybe he is. He's got a lot of room to work with. So Siakam, uh, we're, we're pushing the star limit here. It's it's There's quotes around that star, but um, who else is on your list? Well, fortunately, this guy, there's no question. He is a star. The question is... Will he ever get traded because he's so beloved by that fan base? He is that organization. But we have to face the facts with Portland that they have they didn't look good before all their injuries came in. Now Yusuf Nurkic is going to be out for, I believe, eight weeks. CJ McCollum is going to be out indefinitely. How long does it make sense to hold on to Damian Lillard at this point? I mean, I oh, believe he's man. one. We're going there, I mean, huh? We're going there. Well, all I'm just I'm just going to ask, what is your goal if you're holding on to Lillard, right? It's always been get him to the championship. Well, they gave up two first-round picks for Covington. That didn't work. They've never been willing to go all in another star. You know, I just – I don't get what the purpose of keeping him is, especially because he's a small guard and he's 30. How long is he going to last at this level? It's a good question, and you do see, you know – uh, the the usage rate. I mean, it was great for him to start this season that that CJ McCollum was playing as well as he as he had been. I mean, he's really taken a leap, but then he gets hurt. So now we're back to you know 48 minutes of Dame time every single night. So uh, I mean, I definitely get the the concerns and the the real question, as you mentioned, is, is kind of their ceiling. Like, what are they? You, see, you know, they got uh, you were talking offline. They got obliterated by the Pelicans that one year, and then they they turned around and made the Western Conference Finals, but I was covering that series, and, and you know, don't get me wrong, the Western Conference Finals is the Western Conference Finals, but they were clearly a cut, you know, not even close to the Warriors, and that well, was the year that Durant wasn't even playing in that series. That was also the junior varsity bracket year, where towards the end of the regular season, Denver engaged in some, let's just say, shenanigans to rig the bracket in such a way that Portland would come would be their second round opponent. We got Portland and Denver in the second round. Meanwhile, like Houston and Golden State are having their blood sport in the second round instead of the conference finals because Denver probably figured if we play either one of them, we're going to get killed. So that wasn't really a Western Conference finals appearance. That was, uh, you know, the the seeding worked out for us. Houston was the second best team in the West that year. So I don't take that Western Conference finals bit all that seriously. To me, they've just never been a team that's had any serious championship aspirations. And if this wasn't going to be the year where they gave up all those picks for Covington, used the mid-level exception, they've accumulated a fair bit of depth. You know, obviously injuries have really cut into that, but I think this was on paper maybe the best version of their roster, and this wasn't good enough, right? They weren't good before the injuries hit. They were going to be, I think, at the very least, given what we've seen in the West, like the five or the six seed. So if this continues for another year or two, how long is Lillard going to be satisfied with this? He's the face of the entire city of Portland. We know everybody in that organization loves him. He's just a revered culture setter. If he wants to win a championship, it's looking like it's not going to happen in Portland. So this is like this would be like the litmus test, right? Because if Lillard can go, anyone can go. This, this is, is the new Kawhi. Yes. He's the poster boy for you know loyalty. Uh, you know, small I guess small market we call Portland. I don't know what they are, but not LA or New York or Miami, uh, people, you know, staying in, in a, in a location that, that has been good to them. And 
if he comes out and says I want out, I mean that's it. it. There's there's nowhere to go from here. Everyone is fair game. That would have to be a mutual thing between him and the organization. And you know what? Like that that's what happened between Russell Westbrook and the Thunder, right? Like they trade Paul George and they get together and they say, you know what? It's time for us to break up. I think something similar would have to happen between Lillard and Blazers. And you know what? I have to say, they really missed their chances with him, right? I think if they would have traded C.J. McCollum for Kawhi Leonard, they would have maybe won a championship. And that trade had to have been on the table when you see what the the Spurs actually got for Kawhi. Maybe they could have traded McCollum for Paul George. We don't know. My point is, they had chances to really go all in. They never fully did it. They kept trying to do it with the small backcourt. Never really made sense. And now they're here. Now they have a guy in their 30s. They're not a contender, and the end is theory. Yeah, and that you know the Nurkic trade or the Nurkic injury hurts a lot because he was you know he started off the season pretty slow, but he was starting to starting to come around, really starting to uh, you, you know make his presence felt a little bit at least. And with Zach Collins out for you know who knows how long, um, they're really lacking in the middle, and you can't survive with Ennis Canner playing 28, 30 minutes a game. I mean they've gone. Uh, a little Harry Giles, who's not much better defensively, and then a little bit of just kind of a, a small ball lineup with, I guess, Kevin Covington would be the center in that. But uh, it's just not sustainable. And and so that defense was already not looking great, even though it was supposed to be this this massive upgrade uh, with Covington and Derek Jones coming in the offseason. Um, it was already not looking great. Now, without anybody in the middle um, and McCollum out, that's just, that's, it's, it's not going to be a, a good run here for the Blazers, I don't think. I'm having a hard time finding a team for him, right? I mean, Philly, you run into the same problems that you did with Harden, which was that he's old. Do you really want to give up everything for somebody who's 30? I, I could are. jump in and just, you know, uh, the Simmons straight up for Lillard, I don't think is uh, out of the realm of possibilities. I don't think it's crazy. Well, if they wanted to stay competitive, McCollum is kind of the perfect teammate for Simmons, right? That's what I was thinking, yeah. Now, I personally would go in more of a rebuilding direction, and if I were trading Lillard, I would trade McCollum too. But, I mean, clearly we know that some team would emerge. I think it would probably be a team that we're not suspecting. Like, what if Chicago said, we want to take the, we want to take the next leap. Let's trade for Damian Lillard. I can't find a super obvious contender right now that is a point guard away from contending, right? Like, maybe Boston would view him as an upgrade on Kemba, but what else are they going to give up? Milwaukee can't do it. They don't have enough. Indiana, maybe like I got your team, man. I got your team. Who's missing a point guard? Wants to contend? Has a lot of picks. It's the New Orleans Pelicans, man. I think they're still too far away. I just I am into the idea of them trading for a star guard. I think it's in their future eventually. But do you really want to go all in with Lillard when Zion is twenty? Well, you don't know. You don't know how many games you're gonna get out of Zion. Well, that's the thing. You might only get like two healthy Zion years for all we know, but we don't know when they're coming and we don't know how well developed he'll be when you get them, right? Like maybe Zion, like maybe this is it. Maybe he just, the injuries prevent him from developing beyond where he is now, or maybe he becomes an MVP in two years. Like I genuinely don't know. I would be taking the long view if I were New Orleans, especially because frankly, they have another young star. Like Brandon Ingram is not only... I think better than Zion right now, but clearly more reliable as a long-term building block. So you give me, give me Ingram, Dame, and Zion. Just give me that, and we'll figure the rest out. I don't care. It'd be fun. I don't think that's a championship team, unless you get everything right around those guys. And, you know, David Griffin. Give him some credit. He'll do it. It's David Griffin. He's going to trade for five more centers. Yeah. All I'm saying, they got to use those picks on something, right? Well, eventually you figure, yes. I just don't think it'll be someone on the Lillard timeline, like, I think somebody who's on a rookie deal right now would be like, I don't know. I'm just going to throw out another name. Like, let's say we go three years and Trey Young is is unhappy. Like, maybe that's the way you go. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think they could, could convince themselves. It's like, you know, they have Reddick, they have Steven Adams. Uh, they have some, some older guys, that Eric Bledsoe, that I think they thought could kind of help bridge that gap to, to help, you know, usher them into the playoffs this year. And then next year, the younger guys start to take a leap. So if you add Lillard, you're not saying you need to win the title this year. I mean, he's 30 years old, 31, whatever he is. Um, he'll be really, really good for at least a few more seasons. And, and you don't want him 
to necessarily be the best guy on your team by the time you're winning titles. So I don't know. To me, to me, okay. it makes sense. This one is kind of cold, but what about Phoenix? What about Chris Paul is the salary filler? And you do that. I don't know how you do this, but if you could do that without giving up Booker, Bridges, or Aiton, you could have Lillard, Booker, Aiton, and Bridges as your four. That would be really good. Honestly, I don't think they would even mind giving up Aiton, to, to be honest. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's, I mean, they just drafted another lottery center, which made no sense to me. And frankly, centers just aren't that important. I would have some serious questions about a defense with Lillard and Booker, but. Mikael Bridges is better than any small forward the Blazers have ever had. So, yeah, and they can play Sarge. So they can play Sarge at center too. They've had success with those lineups. Well, I think the issue is if they were going to make an eight and trade, it would probably be for Carl Anthony Towns because of his friendship with Devin Booker. But I'm into that. I think that would be pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, we need to see how the Chris Paul thing shakes out. But you know, it's a uh, it would be interesting. That's for sure. And they're probably closer on their timeline in the Pelicans. Did we talk on this podcast about my preseason theory that maybe Chris Paul would opt out after the season? Yes, you, you did. So bring that up. I don't think that's going to happen after watching him for a month. <laughs> I, oh. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's washed because he's not, but I, I don't think he's going to get 40, whatever million on the open market. I would, I would, you know, just caveat that he might be pacing himself a little bit, you know, short off season. They, they had a tough playoff series, seven game series against the Rockets in the bubble, maybe taking a little extra time to, to get himself going. That's all. If I was going to make a multi-year commitment to Chris Paul right now, it would have to be based on another second team all NBA season, which he is right. not going to get. I can assure you. So Damian Lillard's leaving Portland is what Sam is saying. That yes. Aggregators. If you're out there, see, we're doing the aggregators thing again. Yeah. Um, uh, who else you got? I think this one is, it's almost a cheat because he's already been traded, but let's be honest, he should be traded again as Victor Oladipo. What's he doing in Houston, man? Like, what do the Rockets <laughs> get out of this? Like, why are we pretending? Why, like, they're not going to give him a max. They're not going to go into the tax. He deserves the max based on how he's playing. I don't know why they didn't just keep Karis LeVert. I mean, I don't think they knew about LeVert's health issues. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, does it, it It does beg the question because that was, uh, you know, you hate to talk about this when you have guys' health and, you know, kidneys and all that stuff. Hopefully everything's fine. He'll be okay. But that was the big question when the trade went down is why didn't they just take Karis LeVert? And if they thought, all right, we're going to get a, you know, a younger guy who's on the verge of hitting his prime – um and can kind of be with us for the next three or four years or whatever and then they saw that physical or they got some information about that that would be a reason to say all right let's pivot let's go with Oladipo if we like what we see we can re-sign him um if he wants to and if not we'll let him go and we can just commence the rebuild so I don't know I I think it might have they can't speculate I don't know anything but it, it it's certainly curious that this this medical issue came up after everyone was asking why they didn't just keep Karis LeVert so my thought is we had heard for however long that Harden had demanded his trade that the Rockets just didn't like Harris LeVert, and that might have been a negotiating tact, but that had been reported by some pretty reputable sources, and I think it was justified. Harris LeVert is a talented young player. I don't think he was good enough to be the centerpiece of a Harden trade. It turned out he wasn't. It was the picks that were the centerpiece. But I don't think they knew anything coming in. I think they were just determined, okay, if we are going down the Brooklyn path, what can we flip Levert into? They settled on Oladipo. And now Victor Oladipo looked very good in his first game as a Rocket, scored 32 points. But it's it's maybe the worst kept secret in basketball that he wants to go to the Heat, right? And we've mentioned the Heat with a lot of these trade these trade candidates. If they just sign Victor Oladipo outright and don't have to give up any of their young guys, like, imagine a team with Oladipo and Butler and Bam and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. And Precious Achua, like, that's just a very good, very deep team that can be really good for a long time. The Heat might not even need to trade for anybody else at that point. So I, I don't know what he's doing on the Rockets, but I do think there are a lot of teams that could trade for him. I talked about this on the radio earlier this week on Toucher and Rich. What about Victor Oladipo to Boston? They have the trade exception. They can fit him in. They liked him during the offseason when they were talking about the Gordon Hayward trade. Like, maybe that's a way to do it. So is this the plan for the Rockets then was to, to kind of flip him or, or I would just, assume yeah if they're let's put it this way if anybody whose basketball opinions I respect was running the Rockets they would be thinking we are flipping Victor Oladipo because 
I mean, or maybe they just keep them paying the pay the max, but I don't think they're going to pay the tax to do that. So I would think you're flipping him for more picks or more young guys. Boston has all their own picks. They have a number of first round picks in recent years that like Romeo Langford, I think has potential, but he's struggling to get minutes on a roster that deep. So, you know, there are guys on that roster that if you are interested in particular in maybe you really liked Grant Williams during the draft process, maybe you really liked Robert Williams. I don't know. That's kind of a way to – it's a second draft candidate that could sort of work out for this trade. Did you intentionally leave Taco out of those discussions because he's untouchable? Taco is totally untouchable. Okay, that's what I figured. Just making sure. You know, didn't know if things had changed. But so, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned Miami, and if they if they want Oladipo and Oladipo wants to go there, do they just wait to sign him as a free agent? Can they? You think he's going to command the max? So and can I would Miami assume- pay it? Based on where they're at now, they're not going to have max cap space. We went over this with Giannis, but once Bam Adebayo signed his extension, they had basically given up on getting the max. Now, they can still get a significant amount of cap space. I have it somewhere in the range of $25 million, and this is Miami we're talking about. If they need to come up with another $3 million, the Heat can do that. But getting to the max is probably a no. Would Victor Oladipo take less to play for the Heat? I, I truly don't know. I, I don't know what his priorities are. It seems like that's the team that he wants to play for. But as it stands right now, I don't think the Heat can offer him the max short of a sign and trade. And I do think other teams will be able to. So that's going to be interesting. All I will say is I think there is a very strong chance that if Oladipo finishes the year in Houston, he signs somewhere else in free agency. I mean, 32 points, nine assists, five rebounds in his first game. With the Rockets, so do you really you know, want to commit your prime you know, to John Wall, Demarcus Cousins, like that? Just exactly saying. What you, all I'm saying is, I think Victor Oladipo has a chance to. It doesn't even need to be Miami, by the way. Like maybe he goes to Dallas, and maybe he plays with Luca and Porzingis, and that's his ticket to a championship. Ooh, I like that. Win. It probably isn't Houston, and that doesn't even need to be a slight on Houston. That's just a fact. Houston just traded a top five player for eight first round picks. You just got me really excited about Tim Hardaway Jr. in Houston, by the way. Just a, a quick aside while you were talking about Oladipo going to Dallas. You know what? I would love to see Tim Hardaway Jr. in a situation where he was the number one scorer on a team. You know and what? Just chuck it. Just well, chuck it, yeah. man. That, that dude's earned it. But I, I do think – I just don't get what Houston's plan here is. I don't know what they're doing with Oladipo if they're not flipping him. Are they trying to be an eight seed perpetually and just get that home playoff revenue? Is that what they're trying to do? It's, I mean, it's a strategy, and, you know, a lot of teams, I think, are, are trying to do the thing where they stay competitive while they rebuild, you know, or, or you know, I guess don't, it's got to be a different word than rebuild because we have the connotation of that. But, you know, while they get better, remain in the playoff mix, and I think teams are, are have successfully done that and are trying to do that um, as opposed to just, you know, your favorite technique of just trading everyone and just completely blowing it up to get draft picks for the next seven years. Uh, I don't know if that's as appealing, especially, you know, you mentioned the Houston owners situation uh, financially, perhaps taking a hit during COVID and all that stuff. And everyone's kind of uncertain future. All I'm going to say is this, there is no single way to build an NBA champion, right? Like if you really get granular about it, every NBA champion has been built differently on some level. But if you're not in Los Angeles and you're not in New York and you're not in Miami, you kind of have to be realistic about the fact that you're probably not going to lure some big name player unless you already have one in place. The way to get that guy clearly is the draft because the markets don't matter there. You can just suck and have a high draft pick. You know, no rookie can say I'm only going to play in New York or Los Angeles. There is no perfect way. There's no guarantee with tanking, but mathematically speaking, it is the best chance most teams have to get a star and you have to have a star to win a championship. I think it's that simple. You just got to endure so many years of just bad, bad basketball. Who cares, though? Like, isn't the ultimate goal to win a championship? Like, why are we doing this, right? These the ultimate, I mean, the, fan, the fans pay your salaries, right? Like, well, if you got you to put a product out that people want to watch. So I grew up in New York. All my friends are Knicks fans. I can assure you they would be totally fine with losing. They've been fine with losing. What they haven't been fine with is the lack of a plan. That's the issue. I think as long as fans know – this organization is moving in a coherent direction. They know what they're doing, and maybe that doesn't necessarily guarantee a championship, but at least makes us think we're building to something, right? I'm watching – I mean, imagine a movie with no climax. 
that's what a lot of these teams are, right? That's what making the eighth seed is. If you just watch the movie, that's just the entire, the whole thing is the second act. It's that's where we, you're at. We finished watching the movie and my wife is just like, so nothing happened. Right. Like, well, well, you know, well, you know, personal growth. Well, nothing happened. Like, yeah, right. you're right. Exactly. Like there, there is this sort of human part of us that processes things in a narrative fashion that wants a climax that thinks of the journey to a championship as a sort of story with peaks and valleys, but you want to know that you're headed somewhere satisfying. If the only place you're headed is the eighth seed, why is that satisfying? Why do fans enjoy that? I don't think they do. I think fans now are smart enough to know that if you're not trying to win a championship, you're just not really doing anything. Right. But then there's the downside of the, the tanking lottery scenario where you end up as, you know, the Sacramento Kings or the, the scenic sons of the past several years where you just keep whiffing and whiffing and whiffing and getting, you know, the fifth to eighth pick in the drafts. And then, then where are you? Right. There's no guarantee to this. I want to make that absolutely clear. I'm not saying tanking is like a guarantee of anything, but it's the best option on the board for a lot of these teams. That doesn't make it perfect, but I think you should always be striving to make the best decision. And that's what the best decision often is. Always, always a chance to, to get Sam on tanking. I love it. Uh, anybody else on your list that you want to talk about? Uh, I think that covers it unless you want to go in on CJ McCollum, which is sort of the same with with um, Damian Lillard, which I think if they trade one, they're probably trading the other, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I, I guess we talked about it with Simmons. Like if they did like a, you know, a, a young player who's actually like already good, um, they might keep McCollum just to see what they have. Um, but I would imagine that if they can't win with Lillard, they're not going to win with whatever they got, plus McCollum, plus whatever they have. They're too far away at this point. I think the moment to trade McCollum was a few years ago when maybe you could have done it for Paul George, maybe you could have done it for for Kawhi Leonard. When McCollum was still young enough that teams could talk themselves into him as their own franchise centerpiece when they were trying to rebuild. Now we kind of just know what CJ McCollum is, and I think he could definitely help a winner, but I don't think there's a winner that's willing to mortgage its future for him. And if we're talking about just a couple more guys that, you know, uh, 2022 potential free agents, uh, we mentioned Chris Paul. Um, if things don't really work out in Phoenix this year, they're not as good as they hoped. Uh, he doesn't think they're ready to win a title. That could be a guy who you could look at to, to the, that not necessarily that the Phoenix would want to trade him, that he might start kind of making a stink about wanting to get to a, a championship contender. But like we talked about offline, trading that $44 million salary is going to be a little difficult. Well, I mean, especially when he's, you know, he's not looking great now. If he's another year older and like maybe he's just not even a starting level player next year, we don't know. Yeah. And then the other guy um, also very, you know, far fetched. But we have to mention it. Uh, Stephen Curry didn't sign an extension uh, with the Warriors or he hasn't yet. Um, he can be a, a free agent in 2022. Not saying this is going to happen. The Warriors are playing better, um, probably much like late in day from how they looked at the beginning of the season. Uh, but, you know, if if Clay Thompson gets hurt again or he doesn't come back healthy or whatever, uh, Draymond gets hurt, you know, anything can happen. That's the whole point of this podcast is that we never see the next star coming. Um, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but Steph Curry uh, wanting to go to a, a, a franchise that has a chance to win a title if Golden State doesn't have that chance. Or we got to start maybe, thinking about it. Maybe he wants to scratch that itch and go home to Charlotte. I don't know. But realistically, and play no, with LaMelo Ball. This is not going to happen now. I think it was maybe up to like 0.1% viable after their horrible start. But That's all it takes, man. That's all it takes now, to get Warriors Twitter going. I, I just think it. Curry is at a stage. Curry is this era's Tim Duncan where like nothing could happen to the organization where they trade him. It's just more important to them organizationally from their history standpoint that Curry only wears a Warriors jersey. So at this point, I would just say it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the I think the only way is if he goes to them. He would never make a public mess about it, but if he goes to them, right. he's like, look, I got, I got to get out of here. I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to imagine the circumstances that would lead to that. Like, what if Joe Lacob sold the team to, like, an alien or something? I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> something would have to happen that would instigate that, and I just, I don't see what it would be. Like, they bring back I, that guy who tried to beat up Kyle Lowry in the stands. <laughs> They get him and back. they make him their starting power forward. Like that's <laughs> what it would have they'd have to do. Like I, I don't know. I think something relationship wise would have to break because he and that organization have just that relationship has been so strong. I can't see any way that it happens. Yeah. 
Well, uh, you know, some of these guys on the list, I think, I think you did a great job identifying uh, the most likely candidates. Um, but like we talked about, it could be anyone. Uh, it's, it's like Jaws, like the shark just swimming around. See the fin moving, but you don't know when he's going to attack. Uh, Maybe that, it's me. Maybe uh, Philly trades Ben Simmons to CBS for me. I think we'd have to see the medicals first. <laughs> I don't know. No major surgeries. I'm I'm in decent shape. Um, yeah. I, I, I could hit like maybe 70% from the line if I shoot granny style. High school football player. You've got the competitive yeah. spirit. Right. Like, you know what? I'm just, that's how mysterious the NBA is. Yeah. Anything can happen. Well, Sam Quinn, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, the, the NBA has just been absolutely wild. And it seems like now is the time uh, for star players to just use their leverage and say, you know what? I, I want out. So I wouldn't, not be surprised to see this happen um, sometime soon, perhaps in a, a player in Washington who may or may not be very, very upset with the way his team's playing right now. Something tells me we're going to have an actual big trade to talk about sooner rather than later. I'd be very excited. I can't wait to have you on again. Sam, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we'll do this again soon. <laughs>